Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, I'm Nate Larkin, joining in right now from northern Florida, over on the East Coast, Amelia Island. And I am uh, seeing my friend right here on screen through the marvels of the worldwide interweb. Aaron, how are you doing up there in Tennessee? I am doing all right. Just adjusting to life with more people in the house, but it's good. <laughs> That's great. Oh, hey, uh, speaking of more people in the house, the house, you know, we've been talking lately about the harbor, that place that Samson House has bought in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Great uh, plans for the future, a place to do workshops and retreats and intensives and a place where guys can find temporary shelter when uh, they need to get away and work on themselves for a while. We've had groups of guys come in. They're doing volunteer labor, making progress on the place. Uh, Pretty exciting. It is very exciting. And actually, in March, we are going to try to do a small group intensive with up to like 10 guys there and, and try to make this roll. It might still be Spartan. We might not yet have everything put together, but we're going to give it a shot. Those details should be, should have been in the noble briefing and on the Samson site. We've got some other things coming up as well. So stay tuned for that. But I want to check in on our mailbag. You and I oh, have yeah. had a technical snafu where we have thought there has been no mail for a long time. <laughs> and now we somebody are else behind. has been checking the mail and we haven't known. Okay. All right. So, so he let us know. And, uh, and so I'm curious for you to reach into your sack and pull something out. Okay. All right. I'm going to uh, reach into my sack then and pull something out. Let me see. Give me one second here. Let's see. All right. Completely at random. Here's one. Uh, It's uh, titled simply, thanks. Hey, pirate monks, I feel weird doing this, but I wanted to thank you so much for your ministry and mission. I'm a porn addict, been struggling with my addiction for 25 years, but thanks to my wife, she truly put her foot down finally after five days. You and other podcasters and some men here in my area I'm able to say that I'm more than a year sober, and I think truly in recovery. Uh, Nate, you've been an amazing example of a man to me. I've heard you on several podcasts over the past year, Husband Material, Real Men Connect, Fight for Love. And you've always stood out to me as a truly humble and joyous man. Thank you for your example. It's given me a lot of courage and strength to be open and honest with others. I've learned the gift of going first and have been able to be open and honest with other men for the first time in my life. Mm, The gift of going first. like that. Yeah. Aaron, your truthfulness and bluntness affect me quite a lot. I just finished your white, male, straight, privilege episodes. I remember those, Aaron. Remember those? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm one of those who was ready to be defensive the whole time. I think you all did a fantastic job of listening, and your guests did a great job of describing where they were. I've not made it to a Samson Society meeting yet, but I do love the old, I'm catching up on podcasts still in 2018, 
many meetings, and I love the sound of the society meetings. Your ministry is having a huge effect, even if just in my life. Thanks again. And that comes from Johnny. Thank you, Johnny. That's an encouragement. Yeah, celebrating that that sobriety, that length of sobriety. What a cool thing. Yeah, that's fan-freaking-tastic. And All right. Well, we got uh, plenty of other letters to read in upcoming uh, episodes of the podcast, but we have got a conversation coming up. You know, we've already recorded the conversation. Uh, just a just to warn you in advance, we had technical difficulties. I've got lousy, uh, apparently, uh, internet connection here at the beach. Aaron had difficulty hearing me. About forty minutes in, I dropped out entirely. Apparently, those guys could still hear and see me, but I couldn't see or. Were you playing a game on your phone at any? I was. Okay, I was. We we heard bring bring. Oh really? Yes, and we were laughing about. There will be some comments uh, that (laughs) the listeners will hear. There was there was nothing else for me to do. I had (laughs) no idea what was going on, but I didn't. I saw that the that the recorder was still going and I didn't dare stop it, but I didn't know. Yeah. We we appreciated it. We had a lovely time chatting while watching your face staring off to the side. (laughs) Okay. But today we're hoping for good internet connection for you in Florida. Yeah. 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 All right. So, well, so there you go. Heads up listeners. That will be why, why Nate just didn't have a lot to say throughout the interview. (laughs) Pretty much after the first couple of minutes. <laughs> All right. So stick around. It will be an entertaining, enlightening, informative, inspiring conversation when we return on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We have as our guest this week an expert in an authority on human trafficking and specifically the reduction of human trafficking. That's really his mission. Uh, That's about all I know. So I am really looking forward to getting to know John Pulley, our guest today on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome, John. Uh, Thank you. Welcome. I'm is, is there is the sound quality good for you guys? Because I could barely hear you now that we started. Yeah, John, I saw your face and I appreciated that I didn't hear any of that either. And but you look good. You look Thank like you. a yeah. You know, I I just want to rub your head and make a wish. I don't know. It happens. <laughs> okay. I, so you guys are not hearing me very well. I'm hearing you great. Yeah, you're just like a digitized bunny rabbit. I don't know. Okay. Right. I'm glad it's not just me. I don't well, know why it's a bunny rabbit. It could have been an iguana, a squirrel, a beaver, but okay. I'm going with the bunny rabbit. That like such a good introduction, too. I know. I, I bet there was good things said. <laughs> I think I think he said that John gives good foot rubs, and I, I believe it. I believe that about you. We don't even need to have her testify, but she could. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Let's let's see, Nate. <laughs> let's find out what John is all about. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I apologize. I am at the beach where my uh, my internet connection is weak. I think I'm going to blame it on that. Okay. I 
That's okay. And I think okay. our listeners will have heard that because it's recording localized to you. So it's it's just me and John that don't know what you said. So we'll just go with it. And anything okay. you said is going to be awesome. And John all right. is all of that, all the good stuff you said. But you will okay. have to direct us from that introduction to something because we didn't hear it. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, at that at this point, then, since we have a communication problem, I'm gonna. I don't know. I guess I'm gonna wave. I'm gonna semaphore <laughs> something. Uh, Aaron, why don't you why don't you go ahead and carry this interview? <laughs> I, I love your look, John. I seriously thought it was just me, but your face is letting me know it's good. All right. I think Nate was talking about some of the sex trafficking stuff that you have been involved in, not pro against, but <laughs> I, I heard some of that and I was very curious to hear about that and what got you into understanding this, what our listeners, it's been a long time since we've talked to anybody about the dangers of sex trafficking, how it works. Because there are so many parents that have no idea what mm. their kids are involved in. Not that they, uh, not that they start thinking this is going to be dangerous, but that there are predators that know how to do that. And oh my gosh, I want people to know about that. I want to know. I want to hear all about this. So give me the story first, and oh. then what you've learned and what our listeners need to know about. Well, my story to how I got into this is uh, I would love to say it's an altruistic story of all of my wonderful choices in life, but that's not really the case. Um, sometime back in, oh gosh, probably sometime right before the year 2000, um, I, I got addicted to pornography. It was through a crazy random series of circumstances. I had a roommate in college that, um, as it turned out through some really weird circumstances, um, had a roommate in college that was getting out the phone book. And for the young people in the audience who don't know, there used to be a book that everybody's number. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, one of the things that was always in there was, you know, parents would buy a separate landline for their teenagers. So, you, yeah. you know, so they weren't harassed. Well, my roommate was calling teenage phone lines from the phone book and talking sexually to people. And uh, I got called into a sheriff's department and talked to him about it. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about because the phone was in my name. Um, my roommate in all of his wisdom had called uh, the teenage line of a court clerk of a circuit judge in Arkansas. And he was saying, they tracked it back to me. Um, he came out and started talking about his story and his dad was, uh, I believe a doctor. It was either a doctor or a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure he was a doctor. But when he was younger, he had a nanny because his dad was gone a lot. And he said when he was, you know, under 10, his nanny would just leave him alone for, you know, hours. And he found his dad's porn collection. And he said, since I've been a young kid, I've looked at porn pretty much every day. And he opened up to our church, opened up to all the men and all the men were very gracious to him, you know, said, you know, thank you so much for sharing. We're probably a few choices away from being where you are if we weren't careful. So, you know, he was accepted in. Um, he couldn't handle the pressure of walking out the shame. 
And I say that because he ended up packing up all of his stuff and moving in the middle of the night. One night we were on a uh, business trip to Vegas and he packed all his stuff up and went home the night before I got back. Well, when he left, he had called a bunch of 800 numbers, 900 numbers, teenage. Like he was on the phone for four hours before he left town. Well, we started calling through some of these numbers because we want to talk to parents and let them know law enforcement's aware of this guy. He's not in state anymore. You know, so we're trying to make sure the parents are safe. For me, as we called the numbers to see what he was calling, we called one of those 800 numbers and the voice on the other end of the phone that was trying to get you to talk to them and pay them $5 a minute to talk to them. Um, something happened in me and I was like, oh, wow. I, I mean, I was... I was just this equal parts of this is horrible that somebody makes their living this way. But I was also like, Oh, that's something. And I, and I don't even remember if Nate said this in his book or not when I listened to it, but it's like there was a cellar door that was opened up. I think that's what you said. And it, Mm. that makes sense to me because I, that started a slow, gradual, massive increase in my looking at pornography because originally I would stop on the way home from work and just call one of those numbers every month, you know, because I was stressed. It was my stress relief. Then it became every two weeks and then it was every week. And in traveling for work, I learned that there's pornography in hotel rooms. I'm like, this is shocking to me. I don't know how I'm 30 and had no idea, but um, it just, it fed my addiction. And over time, I mean, I, I remember going to a massage parlor because I used to drive like eight hours one way and I'd drive from, you know, Little Rock to New Orleans. And I'd go get a massage because my back would be, you know, sore. And I never forget the first time I went and she got done and she said, oh, well, we're done. Are you, are you ready for your happy ending? I, and needless to say, my brain, which had been fed a lot of porn and a lot of fantasy, I, I remember going, yeah, I am. And... uh Then it started me when I traveled, I started looking for massage parlors. Then I found out strip clubs are by the airport. And then I found out massage clubs, strip parlors. Now I found out you can meet people online from these things called escort services. And then I found out that there's people that walk down the streets. I mean, again, it was the full blown. I I moved beyond a porn addiction to a sex addiction. So for me, can we, can we, can we pause on that statement? And I'm I'm hoping Nate that your audio is working for this. There is, you're describing something that in my life, there were certain things that happened that broke my heart because I didn't know how things worked. I mean, I remember just being stuck in traffic between Los Angeles, driving home to San Luis Obispo. And I'm like, I'm sick of this. And I pulled over, went to a a restaurant place and a a woman was there and basically propositioned me. She wasn't a prostitute. She was just, this is how people hook up. And I had never experienced that in my whole life. And I didn't do anything. But from that moment, I'm like, oh, that's how that happens. I'm now aware I lost a piece of my innocence and Mm -hmm. I think so many guys, uh, I mean, I think of Nate, the times that, you know, you went to do ministry things Mm -hmm. at school and then you lost a piece of your innocence. And, and that's so, 
I mean, it's a weird thing that's rarely talked about how we lose our innocence in those moments and then what gets stuck in your head. Nate, talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys can hear me. Can you hear me? We can. You sound great. You're so on now. You're back. Freaking amazing. That's yeah. Well, sure. That's, that's exactly, you know, my story. I didn't, because there was no preparation for me. Nobody warned me I, about porn. I didn't know it existed. Nobody, there was this culture, shame uh, built a culture of silence uh, so that even when I encountered these new sexual experiences and sexual opportunities, there was, I, there was one thing I knew, I couldn't tell anybody. It was very clear. The cultural message is, this is not talked about. So I was left to wrestle the bear on my own. And that was a losing proposition from the get-go. I, I'll, I'll add to that, that even being in a culture where you can talk about it, because I never felt like I couldn't talk about it. Um, it still wrecked me mm-hmm. each time. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's worse when you can't talk about it, yeah. but the, I, I, I just go back to like protecting children, protecting my children, protecting any children yeah. where you're like, it matters with the exposure piece because I always had people I could talk to from the time I was in my late teens. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and yet It's still, I mean, the second time it happened, I was alone to go pray with God in the mountains around Lake Tahoe. And I ended up with a woman that told me when she got off of work at the place I was getting potato chips and says she was into whips and chains and boys who cried. Now, luckily, that wasn't my thing, but Mm -hmm. I was, my poor little mind was like, what the hell is happening? And I have to say that my time was really tainted by knowing yeah. there was this woman around the corner that wanted boys to cry. Uh, it's it's exposure messes with our brains. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And I appreciate John, you're talking about this like, oh, you know, surprising. I'm 30 years old and I just find this thing out. Oh my gosh, there are so many things that I feel stupid. I was like, wow, I knew people, I talked to people, I knew stuff. But I didn't know stuff until those moments. And mm. then it led you into this place that you didn't think you were going to end up in. Well, I think an important piece in this is we have to keep digging. We have to go back deeper because I I had seen pornography in the 80s growing up before the Internet. Mm. And I mean, I'd seen it, but it just wasn't my thing. Right. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. it didn't capture me the way it did when I was older. I think you really, to back it all the way up, we've got to go back to when I was a child, when my parents divorced, when I was five years old. That mm-hmm. was that was my traumatic event, and I, I will I will I will never forget the things that came out of that as I've looked back. One is my mom immediately moved me away from the home where my family, my friends. I mean, I was five, right? You, you mm-hmm. don't move kid away. I I didn't know anyone, but I remember that she was dropping me off at daycare one morning. And I remember that that's what people do, right? I've got to go to work, provide for my son. 
Well, I just remember when she was dropping me off. I, I mean, guys, I can still feel the gravel on my feet in the parking lot and see the sunlight, the sunrise coming over the building with my mom leaving. It, I heard, I don't know if it was an audible voice or not, but I heard something inside me say, she's never going to come back. Oh, yeah. The abandonment. Now, again, we oh, go, dude. either I have schizophrenia, right? Either I have schizophrenia, which could be happy. My wife says I'm crazy sometimes. Or... I've been told and taught that I've had an enemy that's been after my soul since the day that I was born, not to, he came to steal, kill and destroy, not to annoy, piss off and bother. Right. Mm -hmm. He wanted to take my soul. He hit me when I was young and I couldn't fight it. And you, you mentioned like being exposed and having somebody to talk to in your late teens. If, If we're getting beyond 10 or 12 years old before we're having conversations with kids, we are missing the boat today. Yeah, because yeah. with the proliferation of pornography, it's happening so much younger. But I started that young piece of me, that young part of me made these agreements inside. Women will always hurt you. And so then my dad got custody and my mom was in and out a lot. But my dad, being a wonderful human being, wanted me to be the best young man I could be. Well, you know, fulfill your potential, do this. And so you guys probably don't relate to this, but I brought home six A's and one B. What do you think the mm-hmm. question was? Yeah, right. What's the B? Yeah. Right. What, what do you mean but, B? But, but you, you are right. Nate probably relates to that. I do not. I just want to yeah. confess. I don't yeah. relate to six A's. Yeah. Bro, yeah. I don't understand that. That was your podcast. You are way smarter than me. I don't know how you can <laughs> even say that. But anyway, <laughs> I think I think that in that, my dad, my mom sent me a message that I thought I had caused the divorce. So I was broken. I thought that women were always going to hurt me. So I had to hurt them first. Again, I wasn't violent. I wasn't any of that, but I also missed my mom. I wanted her in my life. So I had this weird, I wanted the attention of women, but I also like, I would have a girlfriend for six months. And when it started getting rocky or I thought something was going to be bad and I was going to get exposed as a failure, which is what I felt like I was because I could mm-hmm. never seem to do anything right, I would find a reason to break up with her. Mm-hmm. So for me, the depth of, by the time I got to the point where a phone call could trigger me, I had, I had given up on church. I had given up. I mean, I just, I was frustrated with the religion of church. I was frustrated with all of these things. It was the one place because as an addict, you guys probably have talked about this on your podcast somewhere an addict, the core belief, first core belief of an addict is that I'm a bad and unworthy person. Mm-hmm. You guys have problems, but I'm broken, right? Mm-hmm. I believed I was broken. And in that, the second core belief, according to Patrick Carnes and Out of the Shadows, is, right, no one will love you if they find out who you really are. Right, yeah. And I think when we hear these questions and when I hear the, the things that you guys are fighting for, what you're really saying in all that you do and in your heart and your pursuit of God is that you didn't know who you were and you didn't know the depth of the love of a father for you. Mm-hmm. It, it's identity that drove me because my, I wasn't going to be good enough for a woman. I was going to fail. I wasn't going to be good enough at work. I was going to fail. I wasn't going to be able to do anything well because I would ultimately fail at everything and be exposed. That secrecy and that, that, capture that porn took over was the one place in my life that I felt successful. 
And let's tie it into your gospeliciousness that with those things fractured, you cannot believe that God sees you as beloved, your beloved child. Jesus is not enough. And we don't say it out loud, but we're saying, hey, I touched my wiener, so Jesus is his blood is no longer stronger than me touching my wiener, which is like, that's so dumb. And yet it's core to God cannot find me as beloved because I just looked at porn. I just did this thing. And oh my gosh. Yes. I preach it. Gospelicious identity, man. I'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> that's- well, my hero in life is Brendan Manning. So mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I love people that preach grace, but still have a drinking problem. You know, I mean, Aaron, you missed the conversation. I'm like, I didn't know if I could come on this podcast. And then I got on one and I heard you drop the F-bomb. I'm like, okay, we're good. I can come on this <laughs> Damn it. I'm sorry. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I think in that, I had an identity issue. I had an identity problem that I didn't know I was beloved. Because again, my dad, my dad was doing what dads do. He wanted me to, to fulfill my the best I could be, right? I, I, by the way, I love my dad. I have an incredible relationship with my father, who I love deeply. My mother, too, by the way. Um, but I had to work through some of those things. And for me, the porn just reinforced the fact that I'm not good enough to get a real woman. I'm not good enough to be honest about who I am because I couldn't tell anybody. Well, I mean, hell, I, the churches are still this way. Like, my big joke for the last six months is I want to go visit someone's church and meet the greeter going, hi, good morning, penis, vagina. Can we say that here? Or do we act like it's not a real thing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can't talk about it. We let alone talk about how awesome and amazing sexual intimacy can be. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about sexual acts. I'm talking about sexual intimacy, but in all of that. So we're getting back to the human trafficking side of this. How did I get involved in human trafficking? (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, yeah. In looking back at my porn addiction, of course, and my sex buying habits, I was buying people that were in their late 20s, and then it was mid 20s, and then it was 23, and then it was 21, and then it was not right because the porn that I was looking at had to be more and different to feed the dopamine rush I needed. Right. But buying habits were the same to the point that at the end of this seven or eight year addiction, um, I was looking at porn probably three hours a day and mm-hmm. I tried everything. I may or may not have been beaten until I cried. Um, not, by the way, not my thing either, Aaron, but I tried it just because I wanted to try and see if wow. something new made me feel better. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It didn't just so you know. Um, but in all of that, I ended up choosing to go into a teen chat room in Yahoo because chat rooms were the thing at that time. And I started chatting sexually with girls that were under or trying to chat sexually with girls that were underage because I had broken through every moral barrier that I had. Mm-hmm. That was just the next logical step, right? And you justify it in your mind in a thousand ways. But luckily for me, I'm grateful for this. The very first time that I set up a time and appointment to meet with someone that's profile, their profile said they were 15 years old and on mm-hmm. their profile picture it was not the 15-year-old in school that looks 21. She looked 15. So, I mean, I can't even say 
I had a, that was my excuse. Luckily for me, it was a police sting. Mm-hmm. They had three weeks of conversations. I was arrested, taken to Dallas County jail. Uh, ultimately I was convicted. I mean, clearly I've been chatting sexually for three weeks with someone underage and attempting to meet with them, but I lost everything. I lost my marriage. I lost my job. I lost respect in society. Definitely lost respect in the church, right? Because as as we're talking about warning about children, we need to keep those sex offenders away and put them on an island, let them all go die because they're evil people. My statement all the time is sex offenders are born from women, not eight-headed monsters. I wasn't born from an eight-headed monster. I was a person that had no clue and was never taught that I was loved wholeheartedly because I am not for what I do or don't do. And I reached for identity and validation from anything I could get my hands on. I'm not, I'm not blaming society. I'm not blaming all that. I made my choices. I chose to do what I did, but losing everything forced me to hit rock bottom. And I had nowhere else to look, but up. And the state of Texas did, we did weekly groups that people who, and of course, need to say I'm now a registered sex offender because of this. So I have to register and I had to meet each week with other sex offenders in Dallas, which was crazy. And it took me two years to admit that I needed to be there because I'm like, I've never touched a woman. I've never, I've never touched a kid. Why am I in here? Right. Mm-hmm. It took two years to break through my thick skull to recognize my intent was there. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm not proud of this, but my intent was there for it. And it, and, and I had to admit that, well, then my journey out involved I, my best friend drugged me. And I say drug kicking and screaming. I, I was bitter with God, right? How could you let this happen to me? How could you let me go this far down? And you promise you'd never leave me. Well, my best friend had gone to a wild at heart retreat with John Eldridge and he called me over the weekend. Oh, they're doing this thing in three weeks in Dallas and you got to go. You got to go to this thing. I'm like, wait a minute, go into the woods with a bunch of Christian men. I think not. I'm out, you know, but anyway, he cajoled me and paid for me to go. And what happened over that weekend is that through the course of the weekend, the way it was structured, I started to understand who I was from the beginning, who I'm created after who loves me beyond all things and the transforming thing that happened. I'll I'll be honest. I'll be transparent as I've ever been on a podcast. I prayed for three weeks leading up to this event. And this was my exact prayer. I said, God, I don't know where the fuck you've been in my life in the last 10 years, but I better hear from you. I don't want to hear from a preacher. I don't want to hear from a song. I need to hear from you and know you're real or I'm done. I've kidded for years. I'm certain that the God of the universe was intimidated by my prayer. So he answered it. (laughs) What happened over the course of the weekend is there was one time where I was out chain smoking in the woods with my journal. And the question that I was supposed to ask God was, what do you think of me as a man? Now I believe that I was worthless and broken, but when I asked that question again, I didn't hear voices, but it was as clear as day in my head. What I heard was, I love you. And not because you got a B or didn't get a B and not because of anything you've ever done or anything you're ever going to do. I love you because you're my son. And I've been looking down the road, waiting for you just to turn your head to come back home. 
because I'm going to love you now and I'm going to love you forever. And there is nothing in this world that can change a man like understanding that he is a beloved son of the living God. Now, there's a lot in that. I know Aaron always goes, hang on, back up a minute. It's hilarious. I love listening to you guys. I've got, um, I've got so many hang on back up a moment. I'm, oh, I'm letting you go, but I've got like four and I'm holding them in my head right now. <laughs> I'm because here's the deal. Um, Daryl paid for me to go and he paid for six other guys to go. In addition to his, he spent two grand to get us all there because he had had something happen in his heart and he didn't want to do it alone. And we stood around, all the guys had a moment like that with God. And we were sitting around a fire. I remember sitting around a fire on Friday night. And I thought, well, what the hell? If we're doing this and if God is real, why not? And for the first time in my life, I laid out my unadulterated, unhinged story. This is who I am. This is what I've done. And I am desperate to find the love of God, but don't know if I can get it. I told him everything. And I mean, sex offender, the whole works. Um, the next guy who I didn't know um, started talking about uh, that he had been sexually abused as a child. And I'm like, great, that dude's going to hate me forever. Right. <clears throat> and so what happened was all eight men went around that circle and everyone told their story, a pastor's kid. Um, everyone told their story and we made the decision. Let's live this out. And so for every week for 13 years now, we've met for an hour and a half and we do life together. Um, very similar to, you know, the, the groups that you guys do. Yeah. We decided let's do life together and we pursue God, but we pursue, we sit around the question we ask each other each week. We ask every man, how's your heart doing? Mm-hmm. You can tell me about your wife. You can tell me about your job. How's your heart? And in that group is where I, by the way, this is your free plug for what you guys do too. In that group is where I learned I can go and I can go, well, I looked at porn this week mm-hmm. and they go, okay, well, you just moved. Are you struggling financially? Are you having issues in your relationship? Right. It wasn't where's, have you, yeah, where's, have you fasted where's, unto the Lord. It wasn't that bullshit. It was where's, where's your heart? heart? Where's right. your heart? You for? Yeah. And we've lived that way. A guy will come in and go, my wife is out of control this week. She's yelling at me all week. She's yelling at the kids for getting up and walking. And she's so annoying. Blah, blah, blah. And without, without fail, we go, man, I'm sorry that's happening to you. So tell us, what are you going to do to love your wife this week? Mm-hmm. How are you going to love her in the midst of walking alongside her wounding to love her? Right. We've learned to live life together, but we only were able to do it because we know each other's stories. And we've been through hell and back together in the last 13 years. And I think that, by the way, the human trafficking part is still coming. I know we have a limited time, but yeah, what? I had to get free in order to be able to tell my story without shame, without condemnation, and without fear. Because as long as I needed the validation of some, anyone, someone, anyone else to validate me, <clears throat> I couldn't say anything. I couldn't do anything. Because what do I have to give people if I need their validation in order for me to know I'm okay as a son? Does that make sense? But but mm-hmm. you couldn't receive that until you had a community of people to say that to and to see them not flinch and ask, how's your heart not, yeah. oh, no, you looked at porn. 
that it yeah. was deeper and it was more important to them to know not that you got a, a D minus that week, that you got an F that week. They didn't care about that, that you got a moral D. They wanted to know, how'd you go from an A to a D? What's going on? There's got to be a reason, and we care about the reason. Yeah. All right. So before we get to the sex trafficking thing, and Nate, you can jump in with these number of things I'm going to go back to, because you said a bunch of stuff, John, that, uh, oh my gosh. All right. What order do I even want to touch on this? I, I think the one of the biggest things you said that just hurt my heart because it felt so familiar was there was a certain point where you had a lot of excuses such as I never actually did anything. I didn't touch mm -hmm. a woman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that you were like, yes, I admit I arrived at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think for, I, I have to assume there's at least 16 of us in the world. It might not be 17, but definitely 16 that struggle with the, yeah, I was able to pull off a, a world that was not helpful to my soul. And I arrived at this point that, yes, I was there. And uh, I was in it but I figured out how to tell myself I wasn't in it. Can you talk a little bit about that moment? Because I think that's such a hard mm, confession to ourselves mm -hmm. to, to finally say, yes, I'm, I'm there. I am that. And to not go into condemnation, although I think we all probably do go into condemnation for a time, <laughs> but that, that we have to enter into a, a real confession. This is true. This is real. This is me right now. Tell me more about that, that moment or the I, process. Well, I mean, like you go back to the garden of Eden, right? We've all put on fig leaves for a lot of years to cover up the parts mm -hmm. that we're ashamed of. And I felt like because I felt like I was broken inside and no one would love me if they really knew me. I had to do every mental dance I could to protect myself from not being loved, including hiding the worst things I was doing. Um, I learned how to be authentic in a group of men who live life as brothers and beloved sons. They gave me the ability slowly over time to learn that I would share a little bit and I wouldn't get beat up for it. Mm -hmm. And I'd share a little bit more, maybe a little bit deeper next time. And at some point, the exhaustion of hiding, I was worn. I was, I couldn't find a job. It was hard to find a place to live. Try finding a place to live as a felon, let alone a sex offender. I couldn't find, I couldn't go certain places. You can't go to church without having a chaperone. You can, I mean, there's just all of these rules built around it. You only live in certain places. And I, I reached a point where I was going out at one point during the first part of my probation. I was getting drunk at every night, like four nights a week and closing down a bar. 
because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't yet able to share my heart, but I needed to find joy somewhere. And so that mm-hmm. was the, it moved. Now, I think where it finally came and broke for me is God said to me in the woods, I love you, not for what you've done or don't do. There was a process to believe that. I had to tell myself that over and over. I had to have those conversations with my brothers. I had to be honest and start to open up. But once I learned, I'm not being condemned for telling the bad things that I do. I had to take the risk of, I need to tell you I really am and I need to own this. And I had to own it and owning that I belonged in a group there were everything in this group, right? Sex offenders. There was everybody in this group from someone that got caught drunk peeing in a park that's now a registered sex offender to someone, an old dude who had molested his three-year-old granddaughter. I don't belong in a room with that man. I'm not him. I'm not that guy. I'm not that. That was my heart. And the more that I found that I was loved and the more that the message of the horrible church that had given me for years that I had to live perfectly started breaking off. All of a sudden I'm like, what if I actually said it out loud that this is me and this is me, right? There was just a point that I don't know that there was a process, Aaron. It it just was a a revelation to me at some point. This is you. You did that. You went after a 15 year old, whether you want to say it or not, you did. You wanted to have sex. And there's, there's a 50-50 chance that if a 15-year-old had rolled up to my window, there's a 50-50 chance that I would have said, does your mom know where you are? Right? Go home. But I was looking at porn three hours a day. There's probably a much greater chance that I would have molested a child. Well, and... And... You are in a group with other people being honest and... And I, I'm hearing you with those excuses in your head where it's like, oh, good. I know this person, the, their story is worse than mine. But it begs the question every time. So can they be beloved? Is Jesus' blood, is his person enough for that person? And I'm trying to avoid accepting that it is enough for me. So I'd rather just judge them without, without blood being enough to make them beloved. And it's, it, man, this theology gets so stupid. Like it no longer makes any sense because we're, we're not accepting what we say we believe for other people in those moments because we're terrified of I'm terrified of what it will mean for me to accept grace for myself. And so I have to keep other people under greater condemnation to let me off the hook versus letting the blood of Christ be enough for me to be beloved. Okay, let me let me ask you this before we move on to to the other part. Oh my gosh, one of the I think there were only two or three shows me and my ex-wife watched when they came out. We had TV a couple times. Um, and one of those was that was it to catch a predator, whatever that to show catch a predator. Yeah. Chris Hansen. And I, 
I remember when it came on, we were like, wow, this is fascinating. We, we watched it and I was fascinated. And by about the third time we watched it, I was deeply disturbed. Um, because it gave no context into how did this person show up at this house? And it, it crushed my heart because I'm like, I, I don't know. And I felt so bad. Like this person's probably, I'm, I'm dealing with kids at that point. I'm talking about porn, all that stuff. There's a bunch of stuff that led every one of those guys to that house. And it was just like, ah, we caught you. Here's your transcripts. And oh my gosh, I, uh, we, uh, we finally had to, I had to stop watching it because, uh, it hurt. And so you're telling this story and I think a lot of people have seen those kinds of gotcha clips and have never heard the rest of the story. And none of this is about like, oh, there's the story. So it doesn't matter or it's okay. And you're not trying to say that. Right. But, but there is a progression and I want to hear your insight from those moments where I had to watch that and not get the backstory and feel like this sucks. I'm really angry. I have no question. That's all I'm saying. You fill in the rest. I think vengeance is a whole lot easier than grace. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think having someone to put our anger on is way easier. I mean, it just is. And it's, Okay, you want honesty? I'll be honest. Do you know what the most useless thing in the world is? The sex offender registry. Yeah. There is zero research that says that a sex offender registry has any impact whatsoever on recidivism. There is zero research that says that if a sex offender lives within uh, 782 feet instead of 1,000 feet of a school, they will molest a child. There's nothing. Why do we have a sex offender registry? Um, I, I personally believe it's a win for politicians. It's an easy, it's an easy hatred for people. It, it, it makes people pay for their crimes, which by the way, I absolutely advocate for. I, I needed to be arrested. I went after a 15 year old and I'll say this. I'm not a big, let's jail everybody. There are people who are a danger to society, who do not need to be in public. But when you look at those people on that show, I think it's impossible for you to know that from watching it because it's easy just to hate. It's way easier. Look, look mm-hmm. at our politics in America. Well, we let, me, let me try let me, and let me, answer with each other. We now just turn to, well, you don't think like I do. You're a moron. And that's, yeah. we find a way to talk. We can't do it. Let me, let me pause you there just in case people are, weirded out by that thought because i i agree especially in that i had a church leader who had been molested by uh a a sunday school teacher and he was one of our elders and we were going through our children's program like how do we keep this safe you know stuff and his big thing was well yeah we can have people checked but the only people you'll find are the people who got caught not the people like the guy who molested me 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, it's an important thing where it's like, okay, something like this registry makes people feel safe without thinking, no, these are only the people that got caught. This yeah. is, there's way more, there's way more conversation that should be had, but this is a very surface level solution and it doesn't show you a lot of those things like you said there are people that i have known that i'm like okay your whole life shouldn't end because of this and there are other people i've known that's like yeah i love you and you should be in jail these are these are different things but those are very hard things to talk about because we want to make them black and white and just say, okay, we've got the information. Now I can feel safe because I can Google this and look at my neighborhood within a hundred yards. I can look at it. It's, it's complicated. And what you're saying is right and complicated and something that most people don't think about. Let me jump into this. I, I think I can do this. In human trafficking, this is the biggest thing I've been talking about lately. Police run stings. They arrest 25 guys, right? They arrest 25 guys in Nashville, for example. Let's take all of these guys. Let's put all of their pictures on the Internet because they went after children. And then let's take their pictures and let's put them on billboards because you know what? They need to pay for what they did. They need to pay. There needs to be cons- there are consequences for your choices no matter what you do. Even in grace, there's consequences for your choices. But... I always say, okay, let's do this. The traffickers prey on the vulnerabilities of children. They prey on the vulnerabilities of adults, people who don't feel good enough. They capture them by, and people think it's this kidnapping thing from the movie Taken. And does that happen? Yeah, maybe in 1% of the cases. The majority of people are going after building a, a, a relationship over time where you slowly gain the trust of someone who doesn't have friends and then you start to peel them away and suck that. That's how a trafficker gets a kid. They find a vulnerability and they take after it. Why, why are foster kids that age out at great risk? They've had a family. Now they don't have a family. They've got needs. They need to eat. They need to sleep. They have a child maybe. There's all these vulnerabilities that traffickers take. If we as a society take all the sex offenders and pop their pictures up on the billboard and go, look at them. Cool. They've got that. Now, that trafficker that's 35 years old or that that trafficker, that buyer that's arrested, that's 35 years old. Let's think for a minute. He's got a wife and he's got two kids. And those two kids are in third and fourth grade. And those two kids have every one of their schoolmates driving past that billboard and seeing their dad. Guess what they become? They become the dad of the sex predator. They become dad of the evil person. They're bad people. You know what? They probably, he's probably molested them too, which may or may not be true, but he's probably molested them too. And guess what happens? They start to get ostracized at school. They start to get treated differently. And when kids looking at porn at 10, 11, 12 want to experiment and they want to brave it, who do you think they're going after in their school? The kids that have been isolated because their dad was a sex predator, so she's probably used to this. We'll probably go for it and we'll try it with her. So what's happening is by trying to get a pound of flesh from people, we are building in the very vulnerabilities in the children of that person on the billboard that allow traffickers to come in and sweep them up and put them in a life where they're raped every day. We've got to think beyond vengeance. The answer to me is 
you take sex offenders and do what was done in Dallas County for me, give them a shot at learning healthy boundaries, at learning, you know, these are thinking errors. By the way, it's the first thing you learn, and we learn them the whole time. What are thinking errors? Well, I mean, because they use cognitive behavioral therapy for the most part in these because that works with criminology. But what are the thinking errors, right? Lying by omission. They are justification, ingratiation. By the way, those are not limited to sex offenders. They're limited to humans. All of us use them. How do we learn to identify them and fix that? How do we learn to identify how to go after a healthy relationship? What is healthy sexuality? I know the other end. What is intimacy? What does that look like? Because by the way, I'm married now and that's freaking amazing. I had no clue. I had zero clue how great sex could be. Anyway, my poor wife, she's going to hear this and be like, of course you said that. Um, I say all that to say, if we want to send vengeance up and put people in jail, A, we don't have enough jail cells to put all the people in that we could capture if we set up stings every week. We don't. Set up a sting. Ask any police officer. They'll get people like shooting fish in a barrel. We don't have enough jail cells. And the problem is, if we just take people in society and throw them away or put them in banishment, as which is what being a sex offender is, you're banished in society. If we do that, the very isolation and insecurity and issues that this person had, now they can only live in this part of the city, which is, by the way, the crime-ridden part of the city, which feeds their isolation, and it feeds them being around bad people, and it feeds the very thing that drove them to sex or pornography as their primary means of expression, which lets them buy other human beings if we want to change that, we've got to do something different because what I want to see happen is not just justice for a day. I want to see generations change because if you get somebody that can learn from what they did and then starts to speak in society about it, now you can start to see change in the next generation. A man who can teach his kids what honoring the opposite sex is, a man who can teach his young son how to respect other women, young women that can know you know, my dad loves me. Nothing I ever do will make my dad not love me. And so when the trafficker comes in and tries to peel her off and go, he doesn't care about you. You've had sex now. He'll never love you again. She's got in the back of her head. My dad has shown me year in and year out. There's nothing I can do that he won't love. So he will stop loving me. That's how we start to capture the hearts and build a different society that has a society. And by the way, the church is miserable at this. The well, church let me- is Let me me pause because I feel like I am so fortunate in this conversation to have known a, a, a good number of people that were on the sex offenders list and to hear their stories and to understand who they were. Some of them were people that were hanging out in my house or were watching my kids, uh, you know, that I did not feel uncomfortable with because I got the chance to know them, understand. Uh, that's a huge benefit to me in this conversation. And even as I'm hearing this conversation, I'm thinking, man, there are a lot of people who don't get that and who have heard statistics of, If you're a child molester, there's almost blank percentage of chance that you're going to not do it again. 
without understanding there are very different stories. And again, it's not that there aren't people that those statistics are true for, which is really hard in these conversations because it's like, okay, let's just give more grace. And then you're like, it happened again with that person. I heard it on the news. Um, This is such an important conversation because it is so uncomfortable for people who have never walked through the lives of, of various peoples, uh, guilty or otherwise. My best friend was on the sex offenders list for 10 years before he was exonerated and lost his entire career. And what had happened didn't actually happen. Um, like there are stories that help us understand there is a spectrum of stuff here and you are talking about something that I think a lot of, I I think it's incredibly uncomfortable for most people. They would rather put you in a box, even with what you said and just be like, why are we even having this conversation just keep them in that box. But it's important because somehow you came to this place where you're like, okay, I want to try to be helpful in this sex trafficking, which even that word, there's that's such a broad thing. I've known kids have been sex trafficked that willingly went with an adult that manipulated them online. And, yep. and so no one would say, oh, they were abducted. No, they went, they went to a place to go away with that person. Like it, it was their quote choice, but it wasn't. All of these stories are very mm, nuanced. They have to be thought about and, and for parents, they have to know, okay, this just isn't someone coming with like the taken movie that's kidnapping your kid. It's way more subtle than that. Yep. So I, I appreciate and what you're saying, cause I am hearing you. And yet I know there are a lot of people that have not heard this necessarily or want to talk about this in their lives. So how do we, how do we take a pause and, and just go, okay, everybody, I get it. This has been presented in a certain black and white way, and we need to be aware and protect our kids from these nuanced versions of this. I really believe, especially for people who claim to be followers of Jesus, I believe that there's so much that happens in our lives. I think the church has an honesty problem and we didn't, can't talk about these uncomfortable things. But when we're honest, there are days that I, I believe that I could go to a mountain and say, cast yourself into the sea. And I have so much faith. It'll do it. I believe that. And then there are days when I'm like, are you really there? Do you really do that? There are days that I'm kind to people and gracious to people. And there are days that I'm like, I do not give a damn what's going on in your life. Leave me alone. I've got things to do. I don't know that I'm different than anyone else. I think we all have those things. I'm not saying that there don't need to be consequences. There do. There need to be laws are in place for a reason. Let's 
let's use them. But as a society, I think at this point, Aaron, I think the majority of people know somebody in their family or somebody close to them that's on the registry. I think they know someone that has been involved in this somehow. They know somebody. And part of the challenge of of talking about it, and the only reason that I can, some lady asked me when I told my story once, she said, I told I told all about buyers and gave statistics and here's how many buyers will purchase in your city in the next year. And then I got to the end. I said, why is it important that we work on getting something for buyers that can transform demand? And then I put out my picture of me on the sex offender registry and you felt all the air go out of the room. Mm. And the lady asked me, the first lady, I said, I, I'm here to answer any questions you got. I told them a little bit about my story. This lady raised her hand and she said, so tell me, um, did tell me um did you did you find did you know jesus is that how you got out and i said ma'am i said i've known jesus for decades i knew jesus when i was in the middle of that but i said i didn't understand the love that he had for me and it drove me to places that i didn't think i would ever go and i didn't think i would ever be there because 20 years ago if he had told me i'd be on a sex offender registry i said you are freaking nuts there's no way but anybody is vulnerable to it. But the thing that I could do stand in front of that lady and what I said to her in the audience was I said, here's the deal. When a man or a woman understands that they're more than the worst thing that they've ever done and that they're loved beyond anything that they can ever comprehend. I said, I can stand on this stage and I can talk at your podcast. I have zero shame. I'm not proud of what has happened. I have zero shame. I have zero condemnation because I'm a child of the living God and I know he loves me and he loves me beyond my sin, just like he does the people who eat too much, just like he does the people who gossip, just like the people who, I mean, fill in the blank. We all have our stuff. The question is, do we learn that we're beloved children of the living God and we have brothers around us? That's where I love what I've read about your society. I want to do a meeting sometime visit because I love for building brotherhood in the midst of people learning that they're loved as sons of, and daughters of the living God. How do we wrestle with this? How do we get there? Look at the heroes of your faith. Look at David, the adulterer. <laughs> No, don't look at that. That's no, no, that doesn't fit in. That doesn't fit in with church. <laughs> you know the first traffickers in the Bible, right? What was traffickers that? Traffickers force fraud and coercion to get someone to commit a sex act for something of value. Abraham is rolling into town, and he says, "Hey, honey, if he sees you and you're pretty, he's going to kill me. Why don't you say you're my sister?" and sleep with him, and then it'll all be good. And he didn't say sleep with him in the Bible, which you know what I'm saying, right? Why don't, why don't I take my relationship with you? Why don't I coerce you into having sex with someone and sleeping with them so that I'm safe? And by the way, Abraham didn't just do it once. He did it twice. The exact same thing. I know. It's, it's awkward. The, the, the Bible's super awkward with this stuff, for sure. <laughs> all right. So I'm looking at our time and here's what I want you to, to talk about. Give me, so you, I, I love that you went from this experience where you came to stop making excuses to owning it, 
to finding that your gospel identity was the thing that would give you healing uh, and and remove condemnation. Absolutely love that. And then you went into trying to protect other people. And so on that, because, oh my gosh, I want to talk about the whole transition to that, but we don't have time now. Come on. But I do want to hear from you, from what you've learned at this point in 2023, and who knows where it'll be at 2024. I know this is very different than 2000, well, one, when I was a youth pastor, it's uh, unbelievably different. What should people be aware of for their kids with how they can protect them? Uh, and, and I know there's no way to just do a blanket protection. That's ridiculous. My, my kids were always more clever than me uh, in so many ways, and I knew more than most parents. So, okay. But what are some thoughts that you have that you're like, okay, I have been in the business of trying to protect kids and inform parents. What do they need to know? So for parents, I, I think you, you've got an, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. Um, the reality is by the time you're having a sex talk with your children, they've already watched porn for a long time. I mean, that's just the reality of it. They've seen porns from a very, very young age on the bus with the kids with cell phones. So by the time you start talking to them about healthy sexuality, you want to talk to them about, well, here's how it works. Guess what? They've probably already seen it. So look for opportunities to talk and to open up this subject matter long before you feel comfortable with it. Um, your kids have seen things probably that you have no idea about. And when they start talking about um, OnlyFans and people selling themselves on OnlyFans. And you're like, well, what's an OnlyFan? I've never heard of that. Your kids are aware of what's going on more than you are. You need to educate yourself as much as you can. There are plenty of resources out there. There are plenty of anti-trafficking organizations that are talking about how to how to fight things with kids, how to how, you know how to how to protect your kids. I would say this: pay attention to who your kids are talking to. By the way, I don't necessarily mean who is coming to your house. Pay attention to what your kids are doing online. People will start to build relationships by playing video games online and going in and doing battles with people by going in and talking to people. They will stalk their Facebook page and say, oh, you're really pretty. Why did this happen? Or that I noticed your parents are complaining. They'll still message them privately. I noticed your parents were mean to you. Mine were parents mean to me too. Pay attention to your kids' social media, to who they're talking to, where they're spending their time. If there's, if there's any kind of dramatic change in their behavior, probably need to dive in, but I'm going to say this more than I, I believe this wholeheartedly. I, I believe that the most important thing for kids is for them to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that their parents see them and love them no matter what, no matter what. Now, again, consequences for choices, a trafficker is going to take their vulnerabilities and convince them that no one is going to love them like they do. No one's taking care of you. Your parents are going to you all the time. Your parents yeah, don't take yes. your children. You know what I'm saying? That's, That's the kind of tactics that they'll take and go, well, you know what? You come go, you meet me at the mall. Again, I don't know if people go to the mall anymore, Aaron. I'm old. But, you know, uh, meet me out. Let's go do this. Let's have coffee or let's go to the movies. And they'll go take them to the movies and they'll tell them how pretty they are and how wonderful they are. And, and, I'm, and I'm so proud of you. And they will spend six months telling them wonderful things 
before they start to pull them away from their parents. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a slow thing, but let's, let's comment on how difficult it can be because children think that their social media is a, a privacy right that what happens on their phone is a privacy right. And folks, it's not. And honestly, if you agree to that with your 13, 14, 15-year-old kid, you are handing them over to whatever is out there. Yep. And there are, I mean, there's a number of ways for you to check in with that, but it needs to be a conversation with them. I know with my kids, I'm like, this is not your right. This this is not like uh, me going into your room and going through your drawers or reading your diary. This is a device I'm paying for, and I'm paying for it for certain reasons, such as you're at school and you need to call me to tell me where to pick you up. You don't have a right to everything this device has access to. And, oh, my gosh, I've had conversations with the kids where it's like, you can't do that. I'm like, what the hell do you mean I can't do that? Of course I can do that. And there are things like Bark Alert, B-A-R-K Alert, where I it, it, it will go through all the text, all the images, and I will only get an alert from the kids if something inappropriate is said to them or from them. To which I just tell them, you have total privacy until you act the fool. And then you have no privacy. And that's the way it is. Like, obviously, just like any other place in this house, this is not your secret world. But I only say that because I think a lot of parents feel almost intimidated by, oh, am I breaking a privacy? Like, this is, I'm a bad person because of this. Uh, No. And there are options for you. But when you surrender that to a 13-year-old, you will get the wisdom and consequences of a 13-year-old when they bump up against the villainy of a 25-year-old, a 35-year-old, a 45-year-old. Yep. So I'm just saying, you know, you, you said that and it's important, but that's a hard transition for a lot of parents. Who don't know how and that it's okay to say no no this isn't this isn't private for you and here's the dangers that are out there that's what you're saying is parents need to parent yeah well i i think so and what if aaron what if in that conversation yes you're going i pay for it for a reason but what if in that conversation you've spent enough time giving them an awareness of what can happen and the types of people that are on there and how much you love them. And that's what you're trying to protect them from. Yes. I know a 13 year old doesn't want to hear that, but what if you, in the midst of standing up and going, we're going to use bark, whether you like it or not, what if in that you let them know, here's the why behind that, honey. I know there's bad people out there. I interviewed one of them on our podcast there. I'm on that bad now. You know what I'm saying though? What if you, gave them the love and the support and you let them know why you're doing it as much as I get to do what I want. It's my house. I think that's huge that, you know, there's a lot, there's the parenting philosophy. I don't have to tell you why I'm the adult. And it's like, Oh my gosh, that's not helping. You need to tell the why 
And, and that's the most important part of the conversation, because in the end, they will find workarounds if they don't understand the why. And again, my kids have always been way smarter than me with their technology. And, and I know I had like a, a head start uh, beyond so many parents because of these kinds of conversations. And even with that head start, I had no chance of keeping up with my kids if they didn't know the why. And so we need to talk about the whys. And if parents don't know how to explain the why, there is so much information out there. Don't go with the Christian why of like, well, because Jesus just wants you to be a virgin. So just stay away. It's like, oh, come on. I, I live with that shit. And you know what? I would have been like, yep, I'm still a virgin, but it's mostly because no girl has yet said she wants me. Like, that was the bottom line. I wouldn't have been, uh, I was a very pure uh, <laughs> Christian child, but mostly because of a lack of options, not because of moral purity or a knowledge of the wise other than, well, because sex is for marriage. Oh my gosh. Parents, I love you, but that's not going to work with these kids. Sex is for marriage is so beautifully true and will not make any sense to a 13 or 14 year old, not in the world they live in. Cause they're like, well, I just gave them a blow job. Then we weren't actually dating stuff that will shock your brains will come out of kids mouths where they're like, Oh, it was just oral sex where to 35 years ago. It's like, well, that was actually kind of like, not normal at all. And they're like, Oh, well, no, that's just like, we're not dating. So we only did that. Uh, folks, it is a different world with these kids. And, and if you don't understand that, you will keep thinking that just saying don't do it. Cause sex is for marriage will actually make them n not engage in the world they live in every day when they're at school and people are talking about this stuff. You have a few conversations. They have conversations with other peers all day, every day that is working against what you want them to understand. And so this goes back to the Deuteronomy principle of these conversations need to happen when you're walking, when you're sitting and eating, when you're going, when you're coming, this is just has to be a part of life. And if it's Look, weird and awkward, we're in trouble. Let me add a thought. Make yourself a safe place for your kids. I'm not saying don't parent. I'm not saying don't stand up. Make yourself a safe place and be careful and cautious how you talk about those people who look at porn and those people who have sex before marriage. Because if you're selling your kids a narrative of people who have sex before marriage don't understand God and don't love God at all. People who look at porn are bad people. If you're saying those things to your children, who, by the way, may have already had sex and have likely looked at porn, you just made yourself a space that is not safe for your children to talk to, and they will not come talk to you That's about porn usage, huge. let alone someone trying to reach out to them and get to know them who's 35. Make yourself safe. That, that, that is huge, huge, huge. Be very careful. I, I just feel like there needs to be like a a little book of words to say and not say with those things. Because, I mean, we're horrified as parents to think 
my 10 year old son has probably statistically already seen porn. That's horrifying. And yet how I respond to that, or when I'm asked, well, if I'm asked about masturbation from a kid, I should feel like, wow, I'm the safest person in the world. I've just been honored that a child would ask me about this because most kids will not. But then what's the look on my face? What's my body language? I cannot make this something that from now on, this is the one time they'll ask. And from now on, they'll be ashamed. Like the, our words matter. And I feel like, I feel like we're not being helpful in giving really clear, like, say this, don't say this. And I want to, but there's no way to do that right now. So all we can say is just no, be careful, take a breath, be aware of your body language, learn how to think ahead, how to not flinch when your kid says this shit, they, if they say it, you are honored. If they say it to you, that means you're safe enough to have it said to you, take it as an honor and practice in the mirror. Think my child will say, I looked at porn. I touch myself and look in the mirror and practice not flinching because you can't flinch. You can't have a look that shames them or they will carry that. And I'll add to that for the 70% of you that the Barna survey says that 70% of men in churches have looked at porn in the last month. My corollary statistic is 20% of you lied on that survey. But for that, (laughs) how about if while you practice not flinching for your kids, for them coming at you saying they've looked at porn, how about if you learn to be authentic and start to reach out to someone else and find someone safe for you to talk to if you're one of the people that's looking at porn? Oh, man. Parents learn to talk honestly as well. Uh, There's just, there's a lot. There's so much more we need to talk about, but we're so far out of time. It's ridiculous. So. John, I love you. Uh, listeners, if you want to send comments uh, and questions, send them. PirateMonkPodcast at gmail.com. John, how do they get in touch with what you're involved in? Uh, my wife and I own a company called Pulley Consulting, where my wife does a national advocacy training for human trafficking advocates, those who work with uh, victims of human trafficking. And I work on a number of levels in training uh, as far as educating people about demand on the demand side of trafficking, uh, the buyer side, and working on some projects around the country on that as well. Um, and if you want to uh, visit, we're building our website as we speak. That's, you know, when you start your own business, you kind of get delayed a little bit. So uh, our website is uh, pulley-consulting.com, P-U-L-L-E-Y-consulting.com. Uh, my email, of course, is uh, just john at pulleyconsulting.com. So feel free to reach out to me at any time. Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap this up right now. So until next week, uh, we are your pals here. I'm Aaron. This is John. Say it. John Bully. You get to be a part of it. And Nate, uh, can you hear us? Are you going to be Nate? I don't know. No. <laughs> Maybe I can go. podcast when Nate's with us. That'd be great. <laughs> I, I got nothing. All right. <laughs> uh, Florida. We can uh, we can blame Florida. All right. There you go. That's it. We're out. 
The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.